And welcome to the program. First half of the show today. You know, it's been a long time since you can say that the Squim School District has had a, a permanent superintendent, someone who's not been in an interim role or the, or between, uh, you know, superintendents. Well, the newest is here and uh, has taken uh, on the role as of the first of this month, and that's Regan Nichols, who uh, joins us in the studio. And uh, Regan, thanks uh, so much for coming in, and uh, good, to, good to see you. Thanks, and welcome to the community. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate being here today. So let's talk a, a bit about, because you do have some roots, uh, you know, you have some attachment, I guess you might say, to, to Washington State, but you actually came here from a long ways away from Maine. So tell us a bit, a bit about you and kind of your trek through your career. Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Maine and did uh, end up coming out to Maine in 1995 because my husband was a submariner attached to Bangor. And we were fortunate to be stationed in Bremerton for about 10 years, and I made many wonderful friends, had great times, and spent a good bit of recreational time up here in Port Angeles, Squim area, and knew that someday there probably would be a chance we'd want to return. Here it is. I describe a bit of the, the district you came from, though. A relatively smaller one, I understand. Is that uh, correct? Yes, I've recently come from... Uh, a district of Maine, about 2,200 students, right. four small communities. And uh, I would say, though, there are many similarities in that as well. And that was part of my decision and knowing that SQUIM could be a great fit mm-hmm. because I have had experience with that size of enrollment. It's interesting. Maybe I'll, we can elaborate more on this, but perhaps compare and contrast how the education system you know, works in Washington compared to in Maine, uh, you know, like funding, things like that. Much different. Yes. Um, well, you know, in Maine, we certainly have uh, very similar goals for education and the priority of education is quite similar. Differences are that here in Washington, there is a great demand for the funding of education to be projected so many years out. I would describe Maine as much more nimble. Um, The local Mm -hmm. control around budgeting is probably more considerable in Maine, and we do have uh, a more nimble ability to change budget priorities year to year and get funding right when you need it. Um, The forecasting here in Washington is quite a challenge, Mm -hmm. and I look forward to taking that on for SQUIM as we look into the future. Now, what's interesting about this is that you've kind of had that experience when you were here in Washington, and then you let that go, and you've had Maine, and now I guess some people would say, wow, why would you come back? Well, uh, I'm coming back now because my husband and I are just recently empty nesters, and we have uh, many experiences we'd like to continue here with our friends in Washington. But I also recognized in the profile for the superintendency for SQUIM that there was a great match. And quite honestly, I wasn't looking for a new job and wasn't sure that this would be the time I would make a leap. But when that uh, found its way to me, I really did take stock in it and recognized now's the time and here here's the opportunity. So I guess you'd say it was a serendipitous opportunity. It just I, kind of arrived for you. <laughs> I agree, and I think that's exactly what's come okay. to pass. Uh, so tell us a, a, a bit about, you're an empty nester, so just a, a bit about family. Yeah, you've sure. got uh, a husband you've brought along now. So. Yes, he, he actually is back in Maine for a bit, getting the rest of our belongings, and we'll be coming across. But I have a 21-year-old son who is in his final year of college, becoming a nurse. And I have a daughter who is in Louisiana. 
Louisiana. She's 20 years old, and she's still developing what her career path yeah. will be. So, We have one of those in our household, too, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, your, your path in your education career, I mean, I... Did you always want to be a superintendent? I, I ask this because quite often that's not the case. It just kind of evolves to that. What about you? Well, that's a great question. No, I didn't have the superintendency mm-hmm. in my eyes. I'm the product of two teachers myself. And so over the years, I've certainly been brought up with the importance of education and knowing the difference you can make in your community by being involved in it. Becoming a military spouse, I knew that was a profession that was also portable, so that worked very well. And the way I even got into administration was a friend calling me one day and saying, Regan, I really feel like I have to get recertified. What do you think I should do? And I said, oh, you need to become a principal. There's no doubt about it. And what do you know? Two hours later, she called me back and said, okay. If you go with me, you should be doing this wow. too. And here I am. <laughs> How many years were you a principal? And you know, tell us a bit about uh, stepping through those those hoops. Well, I started as a dean of students in the Bremerton okay. School District right. and did that for a very short time, uh, just one school year. But uh, I was a principal for twelve years. I've been a principal at both an elementary school and a middle school, and then I moved on to become an assistant superintendent of finance and operations. Uh, then into the super tendency. Do you, uh, this is a loaded question, but you miss being a teacher in a classroom and all of that uh, where you started from? I get asked that quite often. I really love kids, so I think when people see me around students, they think, wow, you know, you must miss being a teacher. And I say this, teaching is just who you are if you are one. And so teaching can happen anywhere. So I still get to spend time with students. The superintendency is what you make it. So I do build time for students into my day and my week. Um, I love working with student board representatives, so I continue that touch. But I'll also say teaching can extend to adults. And I really enjoy helping to educate people about things that are new in education, ways that education needs to look at things, potentially from a different paradigm than we have in the past. And I love listening. I learn so much from staff members, um, employees, parents, families, and the board. So I think teachers value learning, too. Describe your leadership style. Uh, how, how do you enter this job? And maybe what might be different from what people, you know, typically think of with it with a superintendent well certainly I think many people put the capital S with a superintendent as a title and I am much more low-key than that I'm really uh, what I would say a leader who walks among people and I enjoy being able to just hear perspectives and I make slow choices you won't see out of me a rapid decision unless there is a chaos or an emergency that needs that leadership, then yes. But generally in life, I've found as I mature, time is on your side and probably you're better off if you take it. Um, I really do give people the time and I'm quite accessible. So I'd invite everybody out there listening. If you would like a moment with a superintendent, you can have that. And I hope people approach me. Okay. So let's talk about uh, kind of what you see as the, and I maybe this is a two-part question, a greatest need for the Squim School District, maybe it's a short-term and a long-term goal, this sort of thing, as you've, I don't know if that's a fair question just three weeks or so into the job, but. I think it's fair. You know, I've had the opportunity already to talk to many people uh, around, and the welcome to the community has been fantastic. I also think it's been candid. So I think what I'm hearing 
we need a steady mentality and we just need to know that there's going to be some consistency, some calibration about how we do things. So I'm really looking forward to getting that rolling and the way you do that early is to just get out there and listen and make sure you understand all of the different aspects to either history or what people's hopes are for the future bring it together so we're going to make some decisions based on what i hear well certainly and you know as you've heard from folks i mean coming into this job there's been some issues going on uh, that uh, quite frankly have gotten a lot of people a bit ruffled in the squim school district um how do you approach that you're coming in as an outsider what do you do? And, you know, you, I'm not asking you to speak to lawsuits or anything directly, but, uh, you know, how do you approach all of that that is kind of still hanging there? Well, what is important to distill what is in the past and actually has already been rectified truly? It is the feelings that linger most often. And so my plan is that we acknowledge what has occurred, and we certainly recognize that that leaves some type of sting in some cases. But what it also does is uncover all the opportunities that people had wished that we had been prioritizing, even though we were distracted by things in the past. So we're going to collect those thoughts, put the energy there, move ahead, but respect that your past does make you who you are today, and our district has so much to give and is ready to do it. Let's talk about funding, some things like that. I mean, as it looms, uh, enrollment's always an issue. And this goes back a bit to how you talked about uh, how, how we do things in Washington with education funding. Uh, do you have any concerns at the local level about, you know, where, where the district's going to stand, you know, I'm not going to say solvency, but, you know, financially moving ahead as, uh, ten, you know, trends in enrollment change, uh, some of those things? So we recognize in SQUIM that we do have a finance uh, mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. And we are looking into next year and seeing that as we get through this year, we have grant funding from the federal government. I just like everyone to know that's not sustainable funding. And I credit those who have come before me to try to use that to buoy the district. But now the hard decisions are going to come. What are we going to either reprioritize, stop doing, and recognize we need sustainable funding in the future. Enrollment, we need to get students back in school. And hopefully, uh, through my listening tour, I'll hear from some of the families that have chosen to step away about what it is that they would find um, attractive to either return or the concerns that linger that are causing them to second-guess that. Because I will tell you, Squim School District is a place where we want your student to be. Uh, we talk about priorities. Uh how do you set those? What do, you know? What's, you mentioned you're doing a kind of a listening tour and some other things like that. And I, and I know you've got a strategic plan. You've got some other things that uh, you, you, you kind of lean on as you go through this. But describe a bit kind of what the next steps are going to be. Well, you know, ultimately, my job is to make sure that the school district is being uh, shepherded in the correct direction so that students maximize their potential. So for many of us, we think of academic achievement, of course, but there are many other avenues students can achieve in. And it's making sure, A, are all the opportunities there that are ripe for students to latch on to. Career and technical opportunities right now are hot. We know that college pathways are one pathway. We have many career pathways we need to prioritize. And I've already uh, heard from the Chamber of Commerce, for instance, there's great interest in our workforce being developed. So we're going to look at that.
Also in the younger grades, we want to make sure students are being brought on in a way where they engage in the power of in-person school. This step away to virtual school had some benefits. I think we made lemonade out of some lemons in learning those things, but there is nothing that compares to the relationship of school collaboration. So we're going to grow those pathways too. But attention to the right curriculums that actually give kids the stepping stones to the achievements important. And I look forward to us looking at the social emotional side of how do you bring students back from a pandemic so they feel like they can have success because feeling is the believing. Are you hearing that when you're so far when you've talked with people about that? I mean, the pandemic and just how it reshaped or changed maybe people's attitudes about education in general, yes. uh, you know, and, and who's delivering it for that matter. Yes. You know, parents have never before had such a window into education as to watch on their computer as their students who are being taught. And so I will say to you, I've heard that there have been so many accolades to our educators about what they do every day. And think what teachers did. They had to learn an entirely new platform, rely on their base experience and create something new. So that's amazing. But it also had parents wondering, how am I going to fill the void of some of the aspects my child wasn't getting? And so they found other ways to do that in some cases. So that's part of my listening tour um, expectation for myself is hear what families can tell us they have learned about education that we now need to understand differently. Being back can't always be the same. So this is a 30,000-foot-level question for you, and I think it goes beyond just the Squim School District, but it's a probably a discussion every district needs to be having then uh, about a, re, I don't know, a reinvention, if you will, perhaps of some things that we traditionally did in schools and now we don't do because of some of those very things. Yes. I would say we've always got to remember that what some parents, I'd say a majority of parents were yearning for was a return to much of what they had lost. So there is a place for what education right. has been. But let's let's be true to the fact that we have professions that are being created every single day, new jobs, and our education has got to prepare students differently to actually take those in 15 years, 10 years, or two years. Mm-hmm. The interaction you've had with staff so far uh, you know you talked about listening to her I'm, I'm assuming that you're also in trying to engage to get a feel for where you know what's happening in the buildings with the people that are actually working there so of course it is summer and so I have tough. had yeah. yes I've had the occasion to meet uh, several staff members uh, up to now but um, I'm pleased to announce that this listening tour I've been referring to actually has some dates and I'd be happy to share those with the community so that uh, people know when they can come out and our staff and families um, we're looking into September so that we have all of our staff back our families are back in the schools and can uh, know their teachers and so forth so September 21st and 22nd we're going to have one zoom virtual session and one in-person session. And then coming right up, August 3rd, from 5 to 6.30, business community, clubs, and nonprofits. And then August 11th, for retirees, from 1 to 2.30. And those will happen in our library at the high school. So I'm looking forward to an opportunity to meet all of our stakeholders and hear what it is they have for hopes, but also what challenges they think education has faced in SQUIM. 
All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll kind of wrap things up with the uh, new superintendent for the Scrim School District. That's Regan Nichols. And uh, great to have her in the studio. She's just on board for, what, three weeks? <laughs> right, <laughs> officially. And uh, we'll talk a bit more with her right after this. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. Two more minutes uh, with the new superintendent for Squim Schools. Regan Nichols is uh, my guest, and uh, she's just got on board and is uh, active, very active in her first month or two with a whole listening tour that she's put out. And we'll, we'll go over those dates one more time before we uh, are done here as well. Um, do you, what, you know, what do you, what do you hope the first day of school looks like in Squim? If you, you can kind of dream as to what it will be like here in another month and a half or so. Energized. You know, I had a wonderful mentor once who told me what, any teacher should do and he was speaking right to me is you should teach your very best lesson the first day no matter if it's out of context or what you really are going to start with for a unit because you just want to engage the kids that you are their person and so I think kids come to school on that first day just ready for the hope of the year so I'm looking forward to it. Describe a bit about, you know, the superintendent's kind of an interesting position. I, I always like to get the take of somebody who has that because, you know, you, you, you serve at the, at the, you know, basically the pleasure of the school board, but yet you are also like a main support for the school board. So it's a, it's a really curious spot, I guess, to be in as a superintendent. How do you, how do you walk that, that rope, that, that fine line? Well, I think you have to be humble about it because you are truly working for five bosses and you also need to recognize that what they expect is that the system and the organization is going to move forward productively. And so there are times when what you perceive might be the most productive might not be what the school board also thinks is productive. So have very strong communication because you've got to have the candid uh, communication so you get out what it is you need to accomplish. And the employees are expecting that of a superintendent. You are the conduit for the system. So that's why I really pride myself in being so accessible from either direction because you are a middleman or woman. Yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned you're doing the listening tours is one thing. I, I guess to do you have some other ideas for communication, uh, you know, beyond this? I'm hearing you say that's an important part of what Regan Nichols wants to be as a superintendent is community engagement. Yes. So uh, I'm already trying to be out there and uh, being present in organizations and belonging. And so, as I said, I visited the Chamber of Commerce. I'll be out at Sunrise Rotary on the 23rd of September. I'm going to be getting out with the Economic Development Council as well on the 28th of September, most likely. And then I also have a very distinct interest in getting to know the Sklalom tribe and the council and making sure that partnership is very strong. I, and I hopefully we'll get you back here as well. The invitation is uh, certainly open. We can get Fantastic. a regular spot with you to come in as uh, we do with the Port Angeles folks uh, quite often. Biggest surprise, uh, you know, moving into, into Squim, not a big surprise because you, you know about the community, but what, what has struck you the most uh, since you've gotten here? Biggest surprise is actually how calm the school community is compared to some of the stories you might read in the paper. Okay. <laughs> what I'd want everyone to know out there is we have absolutely fantastic, dedicated, professional employees who just want to put on the best educational experience for students, and boy, do they love 
our students. So um, it's not that that is a surprise. It's just that you would think from some of the stories that have been out there, um, it's calm and it's really productive. All right. Reagan, great to meet you. Thanks for coming in and letting our listeners meet you as well. And uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Okay. Well, thank you very uh, much. Before you go, one more time, uh, those, uh, give us those dates again. Okay. So coming right up on August 3rd, 5 to 6.30, Business Community Clubs and Nonprofits at the High School Listening Tour. And then on August 11th, Retirees from 1 to 2.30, and those are in-person opportunities. And then in September, we'll be moving forward with staff and families. All right. And these are all happening at the high school, right? Uh, at least the first two the are, first two, and then right. we'll try a virtual opportunity in September. All right. Sounds good. Regan, okay. thank you so much. Thank good you. To, good to have you on. And uh, we'll take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk with one of the founding members of the band Chicago right after this. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. Nice music there of Chicago, one of my favorite groups. And uh, Chicago's been out now 55 years. And my pleasure to have one of the founding members of Chicago, the trumpeter, Lee Lochnane, my guest this afternoon here on the program. Lee, let's look back on 55 years. Uh, what, what did you think back in the in the beginning days of this, this rock band with horns? And did you think it would last like this? We enjoyed doing the first album we were learning how to record back then when we did the first record we knew the songs backwards and forwards because we had done them for months already in in uh, the clubs that we were playing but recording was a whole different ball game and as we were learning that uh uh it, it was very uh you were worried about not making a mistake then now and and then subsequently when we did uh, more albums it became easier to play and you you uh, loosened up more in the studio but uh that that first album was was uh very cool to have under our belts and we we uh named the band we we renamed the band from chicago transit authority to chicago on the liner notes of that album and then the subsequent albums that we that we recorded were all called chicago so the bookkeeping department had to uh, uh, <laughs> put numbers on them just to differentiate one from another. <laughs> Interesting insight. Uh, but what has been, uh, you know, you're, you're a trumpet player. I also have uh, played trumpet in the past, so I, I'm, it's, it's great to talk to a fellow trumpeter, certainly, and I've enjoyed your work. No. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think you about... Know what, uh, you know that practice uh, is uh, one of the things that you have to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that was my next question. You've been able to keep at this for a lot of years. Uh, and what's what's your secret? It, it is practicing. I mean, you, you have to keep your chops up just yeah. to, uh, to stay in the ballgame. 
because it's a long show, isn't it? When you go out there for 90 minutes plus to uh, be blowing on your horn yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. A couple hours blowing is, is can be, uh, can be, uh, stretching the chops sometimes depending on how loud you have to play or if you, you right. know, the, the venues are inevitably the, the, um, electronic instruments can, can turn around and, you know, turn up that volume pretty easily. It's hard for us to do that, yeah. as you know, being a trumpet player. What do you, uh, what, do you have a favorite song that uh, you enjoy performing the most? And maybe that's changed over the years, but, uh, you know, as of today, what would be, uh, what would be your favorite one to get out there on stage with? You know, the thing about me is I, I just enjoy playing music and there aren't any songs that, uh, that we perform that I do not like playing. So I, I don't really have a favorite, uh, you know, beginnings. I've always, I, if I have to choose one, I always say beginnings because I've liked the arrangement. I like the way the brass is arranged. I like the way the, just everything about it. And we get to play solos, me and Jimmy later on in the song. And, and uh, you know, it's fun. Uh, you have playing music yeah, that's right <laughs> nothing beats it right <laughs> uh, let's talk about the new album uh, because that's why we have you on here uh this is uh called born for this moment tell us a bit about this record well i would have preferred that the album be titled if this is goodbye because it would have brought up even more questions <laughs> than the song itself brings up all by itself and uh we have no intention of going anywhere. We're going to, we'll probably be doing Chicago 39. Uh, I don't know how soon, but, uh, we'll see what kind of legs this album has first. And, but right now we do know that the single, if this is goodbye, is climbing up the AC charts. It's in the top 20 already. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for playing it. And, uh, we're very happy about that. Absolutely. Uh, there's a magic to Chicago. I've seen a number of your shows. I enjoy them always. Seems like everybody that I talk to that goes to a show, it's just that it, you kind of take us to a different place. Um, describe from somebody who's, a, you know, one of the founding members of that group, what that magic is. Well, we just tried to, um, like, we, we start the show with the first song from the first album, Introduction. Yeah. And that pretty much uh, shows you who we are in one song. Uh, every style is is in there somehow, uh, and um, uh, and then we move on from there and, and take you on a ride through our entire career to the end of the show. And now with this new album, we have added "If This Is Goodbye" as uh, a new song, and everybody seems to be liking it. You uh, enjoy getting on the road? Uh, is it tougher now than it used to be? How is it for you, yes. Lee? The travel has always been the hardest part. Playing the shows is what we do and, and what we enjoy doing. Getting there is always hard or always uh, been difficult, more difficult than actually playing. I enjoy everything else about it. <laughs> Traveling is tough. <laughs> and you are on the road right now as we speak, correct? I mean, uh, you're in the middle yeah. of, of a bunch yeah. of dates. Yeah, we're in Indianapolis right now. we got a show tomorrow night. 
And then we move on from there. I think we go back to Pennsylvania after that. Yeah. Well, it's great that uh, you're out there doing your whole thing. And, and again, it's uh, the longevity of Chicago is amazing. You've had many people come and go through the group, but uh, you've got at least three oh. core members still there. And, and I, I am assuming that uh, you're going to just keep going as long as you can keep standing up out there. Yeah. It, I have to pinch myself. Three of the original guys that were in the room together the first day we got together 55 years ago. We're still on the road every night. That's half the band. There were six guys then. That was before Satera joined. By the time Satera joined, we had seven, and, you know, that was uh, uh, Chicago Transit Authority. But, uh, yeah. Well, half the band's still with us. It's a, yeah, that is pretty amazing, considering half the bands don't last two years now, uh, let alone 55, exactly. right? It, it is not easy. <laughs> Very good. Um, what to, When you started, just to, kind of to wrap things up, you know, you began as a young trumpet player. Did you ever think you'd be in a rock band playing a horn? I thought probably a rock band, because that was sort of the thing that was going on at the time. And uh, th that's where, you know, if you wanted to play with a band, you're going to play some rock tunes. And uh, But I did not know that I was going to meet other guys of the, a like mind that wanted to play uh, beyond anything else. This, that's all we wanted to do was play music. And uh, that has never changed. In another music note, another longtime band, the Rolling Stones, celebrating 60 years since their very first gig. From London, Tom Rivers. An important music anniversary next week in London where it all began. 60 years ago, the greatest rock and roll band in the world played their first ever gig. The Rolling Stones got their start at the original location of the Marquee Club on Oxford Street. Now, a new book is out chronicling their meteoric rise and incredible longevity. The book, The Stone Age, 60 Years of the Rolling Stones, by famed music writer-journalist Leslie Ann Jones, goes in-depth on all aspects of the band, including their enduring music. They are songs that resonate as part of the universal collective soundtrack, they're never going away. You go to any wedding reception and the DJ comes on, people hit the dance floor and any stones hit, brown sugar, jumping jack flash, satisfaction, everybody gets up. All the ages dance to the stones and so they're not getting old because of that. Music enjoyed especially these days on tour. The ageless rockers staying in shape to keep performing. I think Mick realised about 30 years ago that he had to give up the drugs and the drink and the heavy, heavy partying if he was going to stay the course. And he made a decision to do that. And I'm told by someone who appears on stage with them at every single gig that he runs nine miles every day on a, on a backstage kind of running machine or up and down corridors or whatever it takes to maintain his fitness. He's got the physique of an 18-year-old boy. And the voice is holding up okay. So those decisions to pay attention to his health, those were the right decisions, weren't they? Bad boys of rock and roll have been hitting European cities this summer as part of their 60th anniversary celebrations. They recently played two huge outdoor gigs here in London. Hello, hot, hot. All right. 
Let's do it. This couple from Pittsburgh who flew in were typical. We've seen them 18 times, but never been to Europe, and so I bought tickets one morning to see them here. And that's why yeah. we're here. That's why we're here. In addition to their music... It's the brand as well that matters. We know that some years ago, the rock and roll trade stopped being about record sales and ticket sales. It became about merchandise. And this is how they make their money. So you go to a Stones gig, and whether you've paid £600 for your ticket or or $800 or whatever you've paid, they're not earning the whack out of that. They're earning your money out of your T-shirt that you've just bought on the side. But behind their well-known catalogue, the personal side of the group members has been checkered at best. We have to divorce the art from the artist. We have to appreciate the music for what it is and not try and judge these juggernauts of rock and roll for past misdemeanors. We have to let the music stand alone and to celebrate that. And it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I think we've got those songs forever. Out in the crowd, their appeal crosses the generations. That's a very interesting thing about a Stones gig. You get people of all ages. You get babies running around, toddlers. You've got people the age of my children, your children, uh, you know, our, our generation, a generation above us, and maybe even some older than that. Lineup changes over the years, people coming and going, and deaths. A founder, Brian Jones in 69, and Charlie Watts last year were deeply felt. But for originals Mick and Keith, they just keep going. Keith Richards has made a point, hasn't he, of saying, well, when they ask him, you know, when do the Rolling Stones call it a day? And he says, when I drop down dead live on stage, which I just love the paradox of that, but it's true. I think they really will keep going until Keith snuffs it on stage. The Stone Age, 60 Years of the Rolling Stones by Leslie Ann Jones. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. And finally, earlier this month, it was World UFO Day, otherwise known as the anniversary of something being reported in the skies above Roswell, New Mexico. Big year for UFOs. Back in May, Congress held its first hearings on UFOs, but they didn't reach any real conclusions as to what they really are. Someone who's been tracking unexplained aerial phenomena for many years is Ron James, founder of MUFON, which stands for the Mutual UFO Network, an organization founded in 1969 that investigates UFO reports from around the globe. Sherry Preston sat down and talked with him. Describe the process of how an investigation works when somebody has a sighting and and they think they've seen something. How do they notify you guys? What's the process? People can go to MUFON.com and there's a section where they can file a report. Now, just because they file a report doesn't mean that they're going to be approached by a field investigator. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I saw something. It's very impractical to follow up on those kind of things. What are the what are the odds of it being explainable or, or not explainable? It truly is unidentified. 
Um, nearly 97% are things that we can explain. We we get very rarely do we get anomalies that we can't explain. We have dedicated photo researchers. People can analyze video. We even have our own laboratories. So the when something comes up that is absolutely unexplainable, that is the exception and not the rule. What's that line like between actually investigating these things for reals and people who, you know, make fun of it, people who put on tinfoil hats or go out and, and, and wear alien costumes and things like that. Do you, do you get deal with a lot of that? We get calls from people and some of the stories and some of the reports range from obviously something that's worthy of investigation to things that we think are more handled by other types of service providers. But one of the things that's evolving in the field is that the UFO subject and you know whatever is is piloting these craft or wherever they're coming from it's starting to teach us that it has a lot more to do with whether or not they're aliens from another planet or rather this whole topic and whole subject has more to do with an expanded understanding of consciousness and who we are and what we are and, and how the universe works so we can never denigrate somebody for having an experience or saying that something happened to them but that doesn't always mean that we're going to consider it something worthy of investigation. So it's on a case-by-case basis. Okay. And it's called MUFON, M-U-F-O-N.com, where people can go and get more information. Yeah, MUFON.com. And we also have our own TV channel where we've archived years and years and years of information. And they can find that at MUFONtelevision.com. And they can also see my show there. I have a show called Space Time where I report on this kind of stuff. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you for talking to us. I appreciate it. And finally today, robots and yet another thing to worry about. Reports out of Russia where a robot playing chess grabbed the finger of a young challenger and broke it. Brad Milkey has that story. Respect the robots or else. Let's rock. Recently in Russia, there was this big chess tournament called the Moscow Open. As part of the tournament, children got to play against this really powerful chess robot. It's not just a computer. Picture a big mechanical arm sitting across a table from you with a claw that can actually reach down and move the pieces. Claw. It moves. Well, this seven-year-old boy, one of the best in the country, is playing against the robot, and he gets excited like a seven-year-old would. As the robot captures one of his pieces, the boy takes another piece, moves it to the same square. Well, the robot apparently did not like this gambit because the next thing you know, the robot has reached down, it's grabbed the boy's finger, and it's not letting go. People rush over, parents are called, and after a few seconds, the robot mercifully releases him. But it left him with a broken finger. The parents are getting prosecutors involved. An official from the Russian Chess Federation placed all the blame on the child, saying the kid violated the rules that say you have to wait for the move to be completed. He said, this is a quote, apparently children need to be warned. It happens, end quote. The boy was able to play the next day, though he did need help writing down his moves because, oh yeah, he had a broken finger. But the bigger question is, how worried humans should be around robots. They do what they've been programmed to do, and if they haven't been trained to avoid humans, they're not going to. Luckily, this did not appear to be a case of a robot holding a grudge, because if that's what's coming next, checkmate. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP.